worship the king. We worship uh, Jesus. And uh, I just thank you for ministry we have and use it here. Um, so turn uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 2. We're going to, uh, today is Psalm Sunday. Um, and uh, this is one of my favorite psalms. Um, it's a Messianic psalm. And uh, I want to introduce it um, a little bit first by um, just sharing the biblical story with you. Because I think it fits into... Um, in a prophetic way, David wrote this, and I think it fits in the prophetic uh, biblical history in a special way, because uh, David, uh, being the king over Israel, uh, was a shadow. He was a shadow of um, the, the king that we worship, the king that we sing to, the king that we um, owe our lives to. Um, you know, we, we know from biblical history that in the beginning, um, God created the earth, and he created man and, and uh, woman, Adam and Eve. And uh, we don't know how long it was before um, he, they disobeyed God. Um, you know, it's uh, in our Bible, it's two chapters, <laughs> basically, before they failed, right? And uh, instead of listening to God, who told them not to eat of the tree of good and evil, they, they listened to Satan. They said, um, when you eat of that tree, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And so what do they do? They listened to Satan, and they ate of the tree. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that day, they died spiritually. They died, uh, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually, and they died physically later. So um, we have a dilemma, and uh, the dilemma is that you have uh, a disobedient, you know, first man and first woman. And because of their disobedience, uh, mankind has died, has uh, had spiritual death. And so God, um, you know, was this, did this take God by surprise? No. God was not surprised. Uh, I'm sure the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke to one another and said, well, we knew that was going to happen. Uh, we knew Satan's, you know, out there and he's going to deceive uh, the innocent man and woman um, so um, the son who, uh, you know, uh, in, in the relationship with the father said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take care of that. And uh, God appointed his son for a purpose. And, of course, Christ came to earth, um, but he existed before he was born. He became a man. He became a man when he was obedient. He was perfect. He, uh, you know, he spoke the truth. He told them that, if you worship the Son, you will be pleasing the Father. If you honor the Son, you will honor the Father. So he was, you know, promoting himself and speaking of himself and saying, look, I am the answer to the problem. I, answer, I am the answer to sin. And so he came and he uh, died a sinner's death. He died on the cross between two men who were criminals. And he uh, paid the price for sin, for the sin of those of God's children that he has chosen. Now, we know from Scripture that um, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the very beginning of foundation. We know that. So we know that um, there was a plan. This plan was carried out by Christ. And um, he uh, died on the cross, but he didn't remain dead. He did not uh, go undergo decay. He rose from the dead. 
And uh, it said, the scripture says he's risen to the right hand of the Father because of his obedience to the Father and because he died, died a sinner's death for us. So we also know that those who repent of their sinful rebellion, rebellion in this world and obey Christ can, have, um, can be reconciled to God. They can have that reconciliation because of what he did on their behalf. He took God's wrath on himself for those who he chose. So um, we know um, that someday Christ will return to earth and give life to those that love him and judge all those who have rejected him. Uh, there is a judgment day coming. Uh, I believe John the Baptist was you know, preaching repentance because he believed that Jesus was going to judge the earth while he was on the earth. He said that the you know, kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. So um, fortunately for us, and I say fortunately because, you know, we weren't born yet, right? That day has been um, delayed. That day of God's judgment has been delayed. Why? Because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. He's delayed that day, and he's delayed it for a purpose. He's delayed it so we will be sanctified, that we will uh, trust in him, and that we will glorify him with our lives. <clears throat> so, um, and it's always helpful. I, uh, we've been going through Revelation on Wednesday night. It's always helpful to read the end of the story. You know, sometimes you, it's like, oh, I'm going to go see how this story ends because, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble in this life, and I don't really like the way things are going. So you read, the, you know, the biblical story. It has a good ending. Uh, Jesus will return. He will return, and he will reign on earth. Uh, he will bring uh, salvation to his bride, which is his elect. He's chosen them. He's died on their behalf. He's, he's paid the price for his bride. Uh, a little bit like uh, uh, Gomer, who was Hosea's wife. She wasn't faithful. But what did, what did Hosea do? He purchased her, and he brought her, brought her back into relationship. He brought her back into a marriage relationship, even though she was unfaithful. And that is what God is doing today. He is bringing... The, his elect, his church, uh, and his bride uh, into relationship with him so that when he returns, he will rescue us from his own wrath. So <clears throat> the grace of Jesus Christ is what we put our place, our hope in, and the return of Jesus Christ is what we look forward to. We look forward to his return when the story will end and the earth will, will be under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Psalm 2, um, you know, let's, let's pray before we get into Psalm 2 because uh, uh, you know, it would be helpful for us now to think about how Psalm 2 fits into this biblical story. Lord, we just thank you that um, you've sent your King, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, to die in my place, to die in our place, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for, uh, for winning us to yourself. Thank you for regenerating us, giving us life, even though we, when we were dead in our sins. We just thank you for that. We pray that tonight uh, Psalm 2 will come alive for us and that we will worship the King of Kings. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I can't help but um, you know, shed some tears over this because I think we serve an awesome, powerful King that... Um, allowed himself to die on the cross. 
for ourselves, for our sins. Um, he did not have to do that. He did it willingly to please his father. And um, so Psalm 2 uh, gives a, points us to that king. Um, David, uh, you know, was king over Israel. Um, he wrote this psalm probably about a thousand years before Christ uh, came to earth. And at the time, I believe he was reigning as king in Israel. And uh, there was opposition. He had a lot of opposition from the nations. Um, but I think this psalm is also, uh, I'm going to focus not just on David, but focus on what I believe is a prophecy of the coming King of Kings, Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> it, um, we have a shadow in David, but we have the real thing. The real deal is in Jesus Christ. David was just a shadow of what would come. Uh, you know, David reigned from Jerusalem. I think Jesus will reign from Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that. So he wrote this as, um, <clears throat> um, because I believe he knew that the promise that he was given in 2 Samuel 7, 12, um, is, um, was going to be fulfilled. I'll read that. Uh, he was promised, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we know that um, I think David believed and put his trust in the coming descendant, the coming king that would reign forever. He believed in that. I think that Psalm 2 is evidence that his belief was uh, real. So um, I'm going to play with this here now and try to, I'm trying to be fancy tonight and, you know, be like pastor. I'm trying to, you know, emulate our pastor tonight. So, um, so I got the verse up there. So, um, and uh, you can just follow along. I'm going to read. This is the first section. And uh, in your handout, nations rebel against the Lord is our first point and the first three voice verses of the passage. Why do the nations uh, rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth... The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so uh, it's interesting here, David's asking the question, why are the nations so upset? Why are they in the uproar? Why are they raging against the king who reigns? You know, God placed David in that power position. He said, why are, they, why are they rebelling against God's choice? Uh, and we, I think David also is saying, um, you know, why, are they, why are they raging against God himself? Why are they rebelling? And I think um, he's asking and telling them and saying, why are they planning a vain or futile rebellion against God? Uh, it's, you know, I think resistance is futile. Uh, to quote the Borg from the Star Trek. Only you older people are going to remember that. But to, re to resist is futile. To resist an all-powerful God is futile. And yet the nations do it anyway. So what is that? What causes that? And we'll talk about what causes that. In verse 2, it says, The kings and the rulers of the earth take a stand. They're taking a stand against Yahweh, against the you know, God who uh, reigns from heaven and... Um, they're also taking a stand against what the scripture says, his anointed. 
the, his choice. Now, the word anointed in uh, Hebrew, I'm going to throw out some foreign language knowledge here because I want to impress you with that, my Hebrew understanding. But anyway, uh, the word anointed is where we get the word Messiah. Uh, and also, we also get the Greek word um, Christ from that word. So uh, we have, if we wanted to say anointed, Messiah, and Christ, we would say those are all pretty much the same thing. So we have anointed king, the Messiah, Christ, that they're rebelling against. Um, and men will rebel against any thought of one exclusive king. We see that today. When we talk to people on campus or in the neighborhoods and we say, we worship Jesus Christ, the one true God. They say, that can't be right. That cannot be right. Why do you, you know, uh, how can you be so prejudiced and how, so biased? Why would you believe in one God when there's so many out there? Well, we, we know that the Bible is true. We know that history is true. We know that God has sent his king, one exclusive king. His name is Jesus. So men rebel against this idea that only one king uh, is named, and uh, we must, that king must be obeyed. He must be obeyed. There is no choice. Uh, because if king, if king Jesus is anointed by God himself, by Yahweh, there is no other choice. There is no other choice that, uh, except for worshiping and uh, obeying him. So in verse 3, it says, uh, let us cry, they cry out and they say, let, let us tear the fetters, let's cast away the cords, you know, it's uh, like they're, they feel like they're bound or they're, they're under some kind of restraint. And we see that today. Like, uh, why is it that people rebel against any kind of thought of that there's rules? And there's a final rule, and it's a biblical rule. There's truth, absolute truth. And um, why are we trying to change what, how God has um, proclaimed that truth? It's because we are deceived. We have been deceived by Satan. So the world desires to destroy the, any authority that God has over them, and God's word and God's rule over them is totally rejected. Uh, the creator of the world is being rejected. Here's the creation, the creatures, rejecting the creator. It makes no sense. So it makes, you know, David is asking a great question. Why are they rebelling? Why are they raging? It's futile to resist. So um, another thing I, we need to mention is that this, uh, this passage was actually used by the apostles, and they recognized the rebellion of the nations when Jesus was crucified. Look at Acts 4.25 uh, through 28. It says there, And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the ruler, rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So we have evidence here that, um, you know, the apostles looked at Psalm 2 and said, this has been fulfilled today. 
the rulers of this world have crucified the king of kings. They crucified the anointed one, the one that God had sent to rule over the world. And so we have uh, evidence here that uh, Psalm 2 was prophetic. And they looked back and said, David prophesied that this day would come. So we have um, you know, evidence that this is uh, fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So um, the, I think the issue, of course, also is that um, men who are uh, you know, deceived by Satan, they are going to rebel against God. And that, that's the nature of what happened in the uh, you know, history of the Old Testament. Men continue to rebel against God's word, God's prophets, and, and God's truth. Um, you know, I think that um, you know, Jesus ridiculed even Jerusalem because they said, you know, you who killed the prophets, you rebelled against the God who saved you, the God who chose you as a nation. Why are you rebelling? You know, his, his bride, of his Israel, his, the, ones, the nation he's chosen, was rebelling against him just like Gomer rebelled against Hosea. So, <clears throat> so the, the truth is that if Christ did not die on the cross <clears throat> and resurrect from the dead, there wouldn't be no freedom from slavery. There would be no uh, chance for mankind to be able to choose God, choose to follow him. So uh, regeneration, the rebirth, is all, all necessary for us to shed the old man, to kill the sin that's in our lives. So um, what about the rest of the people? What about the people who do not repent, do not follow God? I think there's an aspect that God has given some men over to their rebellious hearts. God has gave Herod over to his rebellious heart. God gave others during Christ's time over to their rebellious hearts, and that was used by God for, to be crucified. So that rebellion is not surprising to God. God is not surprised by rebellion. And uh, he has a, a final plan. And that final plan is also in Christ. So <clears throat> we are in the age of grace now. We're in an age where you know, the church is growing. And Christ, the resurrected King of Kings, is guiding the, the growth of the, of the church. And apart from Christ's redemption, we would have no hope. We would have no hope. So widespread sin will dominate the world until Christ returns or until uh, men repent and put their trust in him. Uh, we're reminded in Romans 1, uh, verses 28 through 32, uh, and just as they did not fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And all they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So we have... Uh, God is, you know, uh, God's heart is not breaking, but God set, has a plan through Jesus Christ to resolve the problem, resolve the problem of sin. He's winning us uh, to, to uh, regenerate, regenerating us by faith and, re and repentance, but he's also going to be judging the world. So <clears throat> God's response to this 
is um, you'll see uh, in verses 4 through 6, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So in verse 4, we see God sitting and laughing. Now, the fact that he's sitting, I think he's taking this in stride. He's not standing up and, um, you know, worried about, you know, God, the rebellion that he sees. He's sitting and he la he's laughing. Now, he's not necessarily laughing because he's amused. He's laughing because he's somewhat angry or, you know, sees the rebellion as uh, futile. And he sees all rebellion and says, this is foolishness. This is foolishness. Uh, to fight against my will and against my word. It is foolishness to fight the will of God. So God is angry at this rebellion, knowing that this is willful defiance and contempt against his own sovereignty. Um, we see in verses 5 through 6 that his answer to this, he answers them and says, um, listen, uh, I've already installed my king on Mount Zion. My king is installed. My king has been named from the beginning of time. Um, and, um, you know, Jesus entered the world in his first coming, and you, he didn't really enter the world as a king of kings, uh, as David would speak of. But he entered the world as a humble savior. And why did he do that? Because of God's grace and God's love. He entered the world to fulfill his ministry, which was to take God's wrath, on himself for the elect, for those who are written in the book of life. So he entered Jerusalem in a humble way. He entered um, and uh, entered Jerusalem itself on a donkey, if you remember, um, the week before he was crucified. But um, he will come back a second time, and the second time he, when he comes, he will not be humble. He will be a warrior king, and he will take possession of the earth. So we have you know, the king who has taken the wrath of his elect on his shoulders will come back to display God's wrath against those who have rejected him. So the risen lamb of God will return to rescue his bride and he will destroy his enemies. He will rescue his bride from the Antichrist. He will rescue his bride from Satan's control, Satan's dominance, and he'll uh, He'll actually eliminate sin in the world. <clears throat> so the Son of God will reign according to the Father's plan. Uh, in Luke 31, or Luke 1, 31 and 32, the angel Gabriel told Mary, Behold, you will conceive and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So in the future, Christ will set up his kingdom on earth and he will be exalted as king of all the earth. So um, here we have, uh, in verses 7 through 9, we have um, Christ's response to this. The Son of God affirms his right to rule the earth. Oops. I hit the wrong button. There. Uh, oh, sorry. This is why we don't like high tech stuff here. <laughs> okay. So he says, um, I will tell of the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So here we have uh, Jesus speaking. Uh, we had God speaking in the previous section, and now we have Jesus speaking. And he's actually just testifying or he's affirming what God has promised to him and told him. He says, um, Yahweh told me I am his son. I am the only son of God. So he's, he's speaking of himself. And you see that when he first came, he spoke in this manner. He said, God has sent me. I am the son of God. I am the one uh, that you must put your trust in. If you honor me, you honor the father who sent me. So, um, you know, he also spoke of himself in John 3, 16. He was talking to Nicodemus who came to him at night. And you know the passage well. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send into the world, send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you notice that men do not, that do not believe in the Son will be judged for their sin. Most people who quote the first part of that verse obviously don't necessarily quote the last part of the verse. That there is a judge coming. Christ is going to be not only the Savior, he it will be the judge uh, in, the, in the end times. So we know that... Um, um, he is the one that um, God has sent uh, on, on, uh, on God's behalf. And he is the ambassador. Or he is the mediator between us and the holy God. So in verse 8, he says, um, Yahweh told me that I own the nations and the earth is my possession. possession. Jesus was given in this passage the right to rule over the earth. He, he says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage. So Jesus has been given, if you want to call it, the deed to the earth. And we see that in Revelation where when they're asking who is worthy to open the seals, it, the book is handed to Jesus, the Lamb of God, before the Father, and he opens the books. He opens the books of judgment. He opens the books of the tribulation period and begins the tribulation period. So we see in the end of the story, it is Jesus, who, the Lamb of God that was slain, that is opening the books of God's wrath. Uh, we, we don't like to hear that. We always want to make Jesus the meek and mild Savior who died on the cross. And, you know, maybe some people believe he's still on the cross today. But he's not. He's risen from the dead. And God has a promise for him that he will return and he will take ownership of the earth. So in verse 8, he says, um, You... You t uh, I own the nations, the earth is my position. Jesus was given the right to rule. Jesus uh, was told that he will rule over the nations with a rod of iron in verse 9. He will destroy them as a potter breaks his clay pottery. Uh, we see that in a scripture where, you know, uh, you know G the scriptures teach us that um, he is a potter and we are the clay. He has a choice over the clay, what he does with the clay. He is a creator. And we're the creature. So we have um, Jesus has the right to dash the pottery that he has created, especially if they have not put their trust in him. 
So the promise of God is partially fulfilled as Christ reigns from heaven, but Christ is currently conquering sin by the redemption and regeneration of dead sinners. So he is looking over his creation, and he is winning believers and followers to himself. But Christ will also reign physically on earth, and he'll destroy all rebellion. He'll destroy all rebellion that um, uh, is opposed to him. Satan, his antichrist, and all his followers will be punished and rendered powerless when he returns. So we, um, we can see this in Revelation. I'm going to read some passages out of Revelation that we've been studying Wednesday night, just sort of review for those guys who are here from Wednesday night. But in Revelation 6, 15 through 17, it says, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? The answer to that is no one can stand unless God makes them stand. No one can stand before the Lamb of God, the, the um, wrath of the Lamb. In Revelation 14.1 says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name, and the name is his father written on their foreheads. So there you, have, you see a picture of the <clears throat> 12 tribes standing with Jesus on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. These followers were uh, you know, uh, saved during the tribulation period. They were marked and saved. So they lived through the tribulation period <clears throat> and um, will reign with him on Mount Zion. Uh, the 12 tribes will be rescued and uh, given new life in the end times. And then Revelation 19.11, we see, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So it is an awesome, terrible thing to fall into the hands of uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and oppose him, attempt to oppose him. So this is what the world will face, those who are not his followers. You notice that um, the armies which are uh, clothed in fine linen, that is his church returning with him to do battle with those who are opposed to him. So we have um, distinguishing mark between those who are followers of Christ one by the grace of God through the gospel versus those who reject the gospel and have rejected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we have the end story. The end story is not a happy ending for those who are opposed to him. So we have um, a warning in verses 10 through 12. The warning is, kiss the Son of God. The warning is to the kings and rulers of the earth. So listen, 
kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and, re and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we have, <clears throat> here's a warning that David is writing to the king of kings of the earth. Serve the Lord with trembling. Submit to him with a willing heart. Do not rebel against him. Um, in verse 11, he says, rejoice with trembling. So we have uh, rejoicing with trembling, I think, is a, uh, telling us as believers. Our joy is in God's grace shown through Christ. Our trembling is the heartfelt realization of what we really deserve, which is damnation. We have been won by Christ through the death um, on the cross, but we do not deserve it. It's by God's grace. And so we tremble knowing where we have come from. We tremble for our relatives. We tremble for the, our neighbors. We tremble for those who do not, who have rejected the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We, we tremble, tremble for them. And we tremble in our heart because we know what we deserve. We deserve what everyone else has deserved, you know, our families that are rejecting him. So we pray that you know, God would work in our lives, that we rejoice and share the gospel with them and be honest and tremble before them and say, you've got to put your trust in the king. You must kiss the son. You must honor him as king of kings. Now, the idea of kissing, uh, it's not uh, what you might consider in American culture. Kissing in those days, uh, kissing a king, was you kneel before him and you kiss his hand or you kiss his feet because of who he is and what he, what he, and his power that he holds. We cannot hold power uh, to rebel against this kind of king. We have to you know, bow before him and honor him and uh, show our uh, you know, reverence toward him. <clears throat> so you remember, you know, repentance is basically God breaking our evil will. He set us free. If, he, if we did not get set free from uh, our evil, sinful rebellion, then we would not have any relationship with the king of the kings. And so we tremble with joy. We tremble with joy knowing what we, what we see in the beauty of Christ's death on our behalf. God alone could break that, break that will, and we pray that the, our neighbors, our relatives that have not put their trust in him, that their will would be broken, that they would repent and put their trust in Christ. So it, it takes God to break a will. Um, you know, the, our slavery to our sin, our slavery to, um, you know, our uh, willful sin is uh, hard. We cannot break it ourselves. We must ask God to do it. And God alone is the one who can do that. <clears throat> Paul expresses this idea of, um, <clears throat> of um, trembling <clears throat> in Philippians 1, 12, and 13. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who is at work in our lives. For his good pleasure, he brings repentance. He changes our will. He makes us kiss the sun. We bow before him. So please bow before him. I beg you, be reconciled to Christ. If you're not reconciled to Christ, bow before him. Kiss the sun before he returns. 
as, as king, we must bow before him. We must worship him. We must submit to him as Christ, as Lord of lords and king of kings. He is our only hope for salvation. Um, the verse says, kiss the son lest he be angry with you. Lest he be angry and you perish. King Jesus, the mediator of God's grace, is our only hope. He is the instrument of God's wrath as well. He's a mediator of grace, but he's a mediator of wrath against the world that has not put their trust in him. We must run to our Savior. We must run now to our Savior. Salvation is today. Today is the day of salvation. We must love and submit to the Savior who paid the price for our sin. His wrath is coming quickly. Verse says, it's, um, the, uh, his wrath is soon to be kindled. It says, literally, for his wrath is quickly kindled. It's not going to delay much longer. We must run to him. We must run to him and uh, find refuge because he is the only hope that we have. His future coming will remove sin by his judgment of those who have rejected him. So only those who put their refuge in him and run to him will be saved, will be protected from the wrath of God. We have a Savior who, like a mother hen, gathers, gathers its chicks before trouble comes. The story, I've, you may have heard this story, where uh, a mother hen in a fire will call the chicks to itself and the hen will put out her wings and the chicks will run under those wings for protection. And farmers who have had fires in their fields have found their, uh, the hens uh, burnt to a crisp and underneath the chicks were found alive. So there's, uh, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has spread his wings. He's provided a refuge for us through the cross that our wrath, the wrath of God, is placed on him alone. And we are saved from that wrath. So <clears throat> um, Paul wrote and uh, warned, warned us of uh, what happens if we reject this. He said in Acts 17, 30 and 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So the risen lamb is the one that has, um, will be um, ruling over the world. So listen, we must run to the lamb of God who is risen. We must run to him for refuge. God's wrath is imminent. It could be kindled any day. But today is a day of salvation. Uh, blessed are those that take refuge in Christ who rescues us from that wrath. We, you know, we find the last verse here that's blessed. Happy is a man who's run to Christ for that refuge. Run to him while there's still time. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 25-29 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who do not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. 
Jesus has risen from the dead. He warned, earth, warned people when he was on earth. But now he warns them from heaven. He warns them through uh, Psalm 2. He warns us through Revelation. He says uh, that um, his voice shook the earth, and, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yes, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we, have, we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with our reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So our God is a consuming fire because of his holiness, because of who he is. But he has sent an answer. He has sent uh, us Christ, the Messiah, King, the anointed one, that has um, given us a chance. He's given us a chance to follow him, to uh, obey him, and to honor him as we kiss, kiss the son who loved us and died in our place. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that you are um, uh, in control, that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you for sending Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for sending him as the Lamb of God who offers uh, forgiveness and cleansing from our sin. We thank you that you have uh, won us to yourself through regeneration. You've won us by uh, helping us to repent of our sin, to see our sin for what it is. It deserve, deserving of your wrath. And Lord, we pray for our relatives. We pray for our neighbors. We ask that you would help them to hear the gospel, to respond in repentance. Help them, Lord, to uh, put their faith in you. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you will reign on earth. You will reign from Jer Jerusalem as the king of kings over all the earth, and you will make all things new. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for sending Jesus that uh, has, has won us and has um, purchased us with his blood. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.